And a good Friday to you, everybody. This is Trevor Hall with Mining Stock Daily. Thank you for tuning in once again today. On this Friday, we do have another great in-depth interview. We actually are joined by Katie Bays and Stephanie Miller, who are the co-founders of Sandhill Strategy, a consulting firm based out of Washington, D.C., uh, great organization, actually. There's uh, some local ties with Nebraska there between all three of us, which is kind of fun. But uh, anyways, uh, we're going to get to that interview in just a moment where we talk all things uh, kind of trade talks, uh, political spectrum, what it means for the markets and the economy. Uh, we talk a little Section 232. So there's a number of different things we hit upon uh, that should be of interest to you um, in the energy, commodities, and mining space. But before we get to that, I would like to thank our sponsors for Mining Stock Daily. That includes the Association for Mineral Exploration, Western Copper and Gold, Pacific Empire Minerals, and Integra Resources. Thank you so much for your support of Mining Stock Daily each and every business day. Just a reminder, if you are listening to this interview on Amazon Alexa, you are listening to an abbreviated version. The full in-depth interview, which lasts a little about 25 minutes long, uh, can be found anywhere else you get your podcasts, such as iTunes and the Spotify, Google Podcasts, that type of thing. If you have any questions, please feel free to shoot me an email at trevor at clearcreekdigital.com. But until those questions arrive, thank you so much again. Here's my conversation with Katie and Stephanie. Hope you enjoy it. Have a great weekend. Hey everybody, welcome to Mining Stock Daily. This is your host once again. I have a very special interview today. I have the co-founders of Sandhill Strategy. Sandhill Strategy is an industry-leading, woman-owned, woman-operated research and, and corporate consulting firm based out of Washington, D.C., and the two women joining me today is Katie Bay and Stephanie Miller, the co-founders of the firm. They're also fellow, fellow Huskers, which I'm very proud of. So Katie and Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us on Mining Stock Daily. How is everything in the political world in Washington, D.C. as of late? Oh, so sleepy. I don't know what we're going to talk about today, Trevor. No, but just <laughs> kidding. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us, Trevor. We're excited to talk about politics and what it means for your for all of your heavy mining yeah go ahead it's gonna be an interesting spin on what we usually cover in these in-depth interviews every week here on the show uh it's gonna be a little bit less precious metals and mining and analysis from the miners and more on the uh uh more or less on uh politics in the u.s and the economy and the stock market i mean it's an interesting time right now and i'm glad we're speaking today we're we are recording this interview thursday morning uh, the <laughs> markets are again this week hitting all-time highs, uh, just clearly wiping the previous all-time highs just a few days ago out of the water uh, based on some, well, we were talking off mic, some rumors on uh, uh, the uh, on trade on trade tariffs being kind of uh, mitigated a little bit. But uh, step us, uh, walk us through what that news was this morning and what it's meant for investors. Sure. Yeah. And so um, this is Steph Miller. Um, Katie and I have been told many times we sound the same, so we will continue to try to identify ourselves. Um, and I follow trade for institutional investors and politics for institutional investors. And so, you know, woke up to news this morning that overnight China indicated that part of a deal with the Trump administration, there would be rollbacks to tariffs. And so, 
the base case, it seemed like, for the investment community was a pause in additional tariff increases. So the idea that tariffs could actually go down or potentially start to go away um, is not didn't seem like that was baked in to the base case. And I think we're seeing that reflected in what the market has been doing um, over the early minutes of the open so far. Again, it's Thursday morning as we're speaking. Well, it's interesting to point out that it seems like these rumors were coming from China and neither confirmed nor denied by the Trump administration. Is that correct? That's correct. And even when the Trump administration says something, that can change, too. Um, there, There is one person, uh, when we talk to investors, there's really only one person who makes decisions, and that person is President Trump. And he makes decisions um, based off of a lot of feedback from a lot of different interests, especially in trade. Has, we can talk about you know some of the folks advising him and what what they think about trade, but um, it not what he thinks one day may change um, because there's a lot of variables that are constantly changing, whether inputs on the market, inputs on the economy, or inputs on who uh, some of the more recent people he's spoken to, what they say they need. Um, and so this president cares very deeply about the market, uh, the stock market, which is obviously different from the economy. He also is incentivized to care deeply about the economy because he needs to run for re-election, which is really just ki- is kicking off big time. Um, the next election is in now less than a year. It's November 3rd of 2020. And so presidents do not win re-election typically on a bad economy. So um, there's going to be, as we talk about things that Katie and I are looking at, I think a lot of the politics are kind of driving two things. One is to try to do things politically that can do that can be positive, have positive impacts on the market writ large, and then two things that could have positive impacts on the underlying U.S. economy. And that you you kind of pointed it out within that statement, uh, Steph, that there's a difference between the equity markets and the economy. And can either one of you two kind of finally clear the table of what exactly that means? I mean, I know a lot of people who've been investing for a long time understand the difference, but for some, maybe some new people who are watching both the equities markets and the economy data, what is the difference? So there's not like a hard and fast rule of thumb, but tend to think about the equity market potentially as a leading indicator of how the economy can act. So it is not completely uh, baseless to look at the equity market doing well and think that there could be some un- underlying fundamentals of the U.S. economy that are what could also be behaving um, positively. But there's a lot of other indicators to look at beyond just the equity market, like unemployment and underemployment and jobless rates around um, manufacturing, around GDP. These are all other indicators that would also tell us what could be happening with the economy. And so far, the numbers over the last few weeks have been decent, actually. So I think there's combined with what the equity markets could do in reaction to um, positive China trade news in reaction to the Fed cutting interest rates again, I think that was just only last week. It feels like a month ago. Um, but, you know, there are other things that are going to make folks feel like the fund- economic fundamentals are okay. I mean, the other thing that both the 
uh, equity markets and the U.S. economy are really beholden to our behavioral psychology of everyone involved. And so for the U.S. economy, that's all of us who live in the U.S. for the equity markets. It's all the investors who um, participate in them. And so there's a, there's an expectation element. It seems like right now expectations on the equity markets are super positive around the U.S. economy. There's some um, hopeful optimism, I would say, but a little bit of skept- a skepticism that what is happening right now can can carry on for the next uh, few quarters leading up to the election without more continued good news uh, from a policy and a macroeconomic perspective. So I, I, I don't know if I said that in a straightforward enough way. <laughs> You can push back. No, it's a, it's a good answer, yeah. and and I kind of led into my next question. Uh, and and I know uh, both of you do some contribution commentary on um, some of the big financial networks like CNBC and uh, and Bloomberg. But I just wanted to ask, like, from what I've seen from actually from some of the mainstream media in the last few days, is the word skepticism keeps on popping up despite the overall U.S. markets continuing to reach these all time highs. It seems like there is a lot more skepticism as to how sustainable these moves really are. Um, do you care to comment on uh, some of that sentiment? Yeah, I might pass it over to Katie because she looks at um, the, she's an energy analyst, which ties into oil and geopolitical things that are happening beyond the U.S. And I think that's a big part of it. So let me pass over to Katie. Yeah, thank you, Steph. Well, I think energy is a really good example of what you're describing. It's kind of an ex- maybe an extreme example, but One of the things that I feel like we have seen over the last couple of earnings cycles is that even though I think there's a broader market shift away from growth towards value, I think this is something that people have talked about for a long time and is frequently, um, you know, a subject of conversation as investors are looking for more durable and stable sources of um, return in the market you know, energy is maybe superficially supposed to be a place where you can find that. But what we've seen, I think, in the last couple of earnings cycles, especially for the upstream oil and gas producers, is that when they miss an earnings estimate or, you know, maybe have a decent quarter but change their outlook for 2020, um, that the market reacts really, really negatively to that. And um, and I think that's an interesting signal showing me and I think others in some way how brittle the market sentiment really is. And to me, I think the you know global uh, sort of economic outlook, especially as it pertains to oil demand growth and just the outlook for um, for this sort of core industry that's so closely tied to global growth, has felt really flimsy and really brittle for a number of years. And that, I think, is being uh, multiplied or enhanced by the volatility and the uncertainty around the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. That's certainly something we hear a lot of investors, a lot of companies worrying about right now as well. Sorry, let me just add one thing, Trevor. Um, Citizens are being impacted from a policy perspective. Right now, companies are hesitant to make really big decisions because many of them are uncertain about how the tariff situation and trade war with China is going to play out. And so they don't want to lock themselves into some behavioral 
um, or business, you know, um, systems without knowing what the landscape is going to be. And so even if China is resolved, let's say today, let's say overnight, not just rumor, but we had like actual trade war done. We are now heading into an election cycle where the business tax rate is up for debate. So we're almost at a point now, even if China were totally resolved, where businesses do not know how to make long-term investment decisions. And so that is going to impact the U.S. economy. Um, And so that's like another reason, I think, why there's skepticism that we can have really good news now, maybe from a headline perspective, that would actually lead to the behavioral changes that would put the country on more solid economic footing. So we are definitely, it seems like we're in an economy filled with limbo. Um, and one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, is this an economy where investors are now risk on or risk off? And I know that answer seems to change like every single day, like every day something changes a little bit more. But when it comes to kind of risk off assets such as gold, obviously this is Mining Stock Daily and we talk a lot about gold and precious metals. Uh, but there's other types of investments there such as bonds and uh, that we can talk to as well. Do you see more of the people you work with, the institutional investors that you consult and work with, leaning towards more risk off type ideas? Or is there still a mixed bag of risk on risk off more people thinking like, I can get I can continue to participate in this melt up in the overall markets. Yeah, I think that the way I would answer that question is that the consensus direction is towards risk off assets, but individuals see opportunities that they're enthusiastic about in the risk on asset classes. And what is not yet working, I think, um is that the asset, like on the equity side, risk on assets that look cheap haven't appreciated um, in the way that you would want them to, to kind of, you know, validate your thesis so that there is a consensus move, I think, towards bonds and their capital inflows into bonds broadly. But the opportunity seems to be on the equity side it's just that that opportunity isn't, you're not consistently being rewarded for taking those opportunities. So um, we've got a number of clients who are, I think, enthusiastic about seeing the market sell off when it happens um, because it creates an opportunity for you to go after something that looks interesting. But then within certain sectors, the market has been, I think, very, um, weak as it pertains to kind of recognizing, you know, or, or agree, maybe creating a uh, environment where you validate a thesis around, you know, again, pursuing like cash flowing opportunities in like the, you know, the natural resource space, like, but that's, that's not a consistently rewarded position. Um, so the only the only thing you really get is when you get a market sell off that, you know, you kind of try to seize that opportunity. But broadly, I think that's a bit of the, like outside of the center, it feels like the center of the market is really gravitating towards, towards debt. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because in the mining space, I mean, obviously we've been seeing quarterly earnings come out at the same time everybody else has the last uh, two weeks. And um, Q3 
was actually the first full quarter where we saw fourteen fifty to fifteen hundred dollar gold ounces, you know, spot price of gold. And so we were very anxious to see, okay, what are these big gold producers like? What are their numbers going to be? Their earning numbers going to be like? And it, it 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 seems like a number of companies came back and just really hit it out of the park, right? Because they were able to manage their debt, uh, manage. Um, uh, their sustaining costs of what it costs to produce those ounces of gold. Uh, and, and companies that didn't, you know, maybe had some sort of uh, capital expenses that uh, continued to cause problems with their operations or um, had, you know, obviously it was costing them too much to produce gold. I mean, it's really coming out now that which gold producers are still sustainably and financially stable and which ones are still struggling to make ends meet even at $1,500 gold. Um, and so when you see that, it's like, you know, how does it, how does an industry such as gold mining and precious metals kind of, uh, position itself in the market to say, Hey, here we are, we've been completely undervalued for the last six years or longer. Uh, but look at our quarterly earnings and look when the value, when, when the, when the value of the overall market seemed exceptionally overvalued, here's an industry that literally has the writing on the wall of where our value really is. And the undervalued and the undervalued um, proposition it offers to overall uh, investors. What, how do we do that? How do we transition into that position? That is like that's the question. And I know you know energy is not the same as gold, and it has different headwinds and political challenges, of course. But um, that sort of how does the extractive industry get its due? Question I think is one that we've been asking ourselves for a number of years. Like you said, it's really been um, you know half a decade long cycle of sort of a market broad market disinterest in extractive industries and broad market disinterest, I think in capital intensive businesses and, um, you know, companies that used uh, favorable kind of pricing environments and, and cash to delever their balance sheets are hugely more attractive I think at this point and are giving um, giving their peers who have not been able to do that or chose not to do that uh, kind of the run for the money because at this point, I think investors are being very, um, uh, maybe the word is short-sighted, but I don't really mean it in a negative way. I think they're being very utilitarian about their interaction with these investment theses. We're looking for ways I'm investing in this industry because I'm trying to get cash out. So if I could invest in somebody who can return more cash versus somebody who has to use some of that cash to pay interest, I'm not believing, I'm not buying a long-term thesis. I'm buying a short-term cash flow. And so if you can demonstrate the ability to return cash, great. And if you can't, doesn't matter what the price is. I don't believe that this environment lasts forever. We've been burned by commodity cycles in the past. We've been burned by these kinds of ups and downs in uh, global commodity prices. So we're not buying a long-term strategy. We're buying a short-term uh, cash flow. And so that, you know, that environment to me has defined the way that investors interact with extractive industries or companies in extractive industries. Can we talk a little bit more about the cannabis industry? I, one of the conversations that's been going on for a number of years is, well, there's more investment capital moving into cannabis, which means it's keeping it away from the mining for mining and junior mining mineral exploration. Uh, it almost seems that the cannabis uh, equities, 
the bubble has popped a little bit and a lot of a lot of the industry is back down in a downtrend uh, as far as the share prices of many of these companies go. Can you uh, confirm or deny that 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 what's going to happen is there less capital money for marijuana and cannabis? And uh, do you see this as a potential buying opportunity or uh, is there more downward uh, trend lines to, to happen here? Yeah. So the market, despite I know we're talking to you based in Colorado that actually has a robust and real cannabis market, but I would view the market particularly in the U.S., but even in Canada, um, which are a lot of the companies that money has poured into because it is a legitimate market there, I think it's still extraordinarily nascent um, because of the regulatory overhang of it being federally illegal. Um, And with legality at a federal level, so if if and when, because we think it's going to be descheduled, if and when cannabis becomes, you know, a, a usable, doable um, substance for both the financial markets to legitimately get involved in and businesses to get involved in, it's going to come very likely in our view with a bunch of regulations that at a federal level that I, none of, I don't think a lot of people are thinking about. So not only will, will, there, will there be big tailwinds from legalization, but there will also be new and not foreseen headwinds that I think will be pretty significant. And so I think that what's happening to some of these publicly traded names right now, um, I think it's hard to to want for me to get excited about any of them because one, they're not on a they're on you know their own exchange in Toronto. That's not even the Toronto Stock Exchange; it's a cannabis only exchange. Two, they're not you know there's some U.S. companies, but they're not. It's not the market either the capital markets or the actual physical markets that are going to be moving these products. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot more dislocation. So in terms of opportunities for interesting investments, I think those will continue and change. Um, and I, so I don't think we're at the bottom yet. I think we have a whole new upside and then a whole new downside probably to go through um, for this industry over the next few years as it becomes a more legitimate industry in the U.S. I have one more question for you before we kind of wrap this up, but I wanted to ask you about Section 232. Yeah. Uh, you reminded me, actually, that <laughs> that uh, there's more to Section 232 than just uranium. I know. And, uh, and, and so there's a number of different commodities that are involved in Section 232. Can you kind of briefly summarize what Section 232 is, how it's been punted, by President Trump, uh, and and we expect a delivery or an answer here shortly, but, you know, who knows? Who knows yeah. if we'll get an answer here? So 232, Section 232 just refers to the provision of the underlying law that gives the president authority to impose tariffs on a good, and, and like Section 301 is a different one. So actually all the tariffs on China are Section 301 tariffs. Section 232 tariffs that he's using are against uranium and as we were emailing about, but also steel and aluminum and also autos from the European Union. So a lot, he's, the White House, you know, made a bunch of political promises on the campaign that this president was going to protect U.S. industry, U.S. workers. And so this is how these are materializing. So as you mentioned, on uranium, there is an out, 
outstanding set of decisions that need to happen um, before the Trump administration is says it's willing to make a decision here. So this nuclear fuel working group needs to recommend something to the White House around whether or not 232s, you know, basically boiling it down are going to be good or bad for the U.S. Um, and it seems like a lot of folks who are watching these are betting that the uranium 232s do not happen, that it was a threat, but in terms of, act of actualizing that threat, it's unlikely, which is also kind of consistent with what folks expect around the auto 232s, um, steel and aluminum tariffs went in place, but there was a, there were a bunch of exclusions granted, and actually that exclusion process is kind of under fire right now um, internally at the Department of Commerce. So um, it's just a sticky and complicated set of actualizing politics, which tends to be a check on how policymakers, you know, move, translating rhetoric to action. There's a lot of things that prevent that from happening. Um, and I think a lot of folks didn't really want to bet against President Trump because he is has done many times what he says he will do. And, and so the idea of just writing, dismissing everything that he says because it seems hard uh, or it seems like it could be, have a negative impact, he, that, that doesn't seem to necessarily stop him. So it's a hard it's hard to feel confident that totally that the new, the uranium two thirty twos won't happen. But it seems like that's where it's trending. Well, I think we should leave it at there because it's it's definitely an interesting time uh, here in the U.S., well, in the overall the global economy as well, to see just how much uh, the politics plays a plays a part in the uh, north or south movement of the markets and the economy. And so, you know, the, again, like we said, we're recording this Thursday morning. Tomorrow's Friday when this uh, interview airs. And who knows, girls, things could be totally different <laughs> than what we discussed. So. Oh, 100%. I know. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, why don't you give us a quick uh, rundown of where listeners can reach out to you uh, and uh, ask you any questions or follow-ups? That's awesome. So, um, again, this is Steph. Uh, thank you, Trevor, for having us. So our company is called Sandhill Strategy. Um, as Trevor mentioned, Katie and I are both from Nebraska. There's a region in Nebraska called the Sand Hills, the Nebraska Sand Hills. And so we paid homage to that when we founded our company. You can go to sandhillstrategy.com and find our email addresses, phone numbers, contact information, and more about us there. So that's sandhillstrategy.com. Yes, thank you so much, Trevor, for having us. Really fun to meet you and to chat with you today. Yeah, thank you, Katie. Thank you, Stephanie. You'll be sure to... Uh, chat with you again and uh welcome you back to the show next year maybe closer to election and see how this thing all plays out uh but until then have yourself a great holiday uh over the next couple of weeks it's crazy to say because it's mid-november already i know uh, but take care of <laughs> take care of yourself and uh best of luck we'll chat again soon Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein.